What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Rethinking Christianity. On today's episode, I interview Grant Skeldon. Grant is the next-gen director of Q Ideas, the founder of the Initiative Network, and the author of The Passion Generation, a book on millennials and discipleship. Today's conversation is all about discipleship, unity, and comparison. The conversation was super helpful and super encouraging, and I'm excited for you to get to hear it and get to hear some of the thoughts that Grant presents to us. And so thanks for tuning in, and let's get into the episode. Again, I appreciate you coming on. Um, so before we kind of get rolling into some topics, um, I'd love to just hear some of your, you know, your personal story about how you kind of got to where you're at, um, just how you got involved in writing on discipleship and kind of the platform, you know, that God's kind of given you on that topic. Yeah. I'm, so I'm in a very unique situation, unfortunately, in that uh, I came to Christ almost like everybody else. Um, when they were, I was at youth ministry, uh, and but how I'm different is, uh, as many people statistically give their life to Christ, I think like way over at least 50 70 percent from what I've seen with Barna give their life to Christ, um, for generations, uh, have given their life to Christ before they're 18 years old, and so I'm like just like everybody else in that case. But what made me different is. Uh, I was very, very fortunate to not just come to Christ when I was young, but to get discipled while I was young. Because two weeks into my faith um, and giving my life over to God, I had a youth pastor named Kevin Batista, who was really drawn to the school that I was going to, and uh, which drew him to me because basically he kind of challenged me where he said, hey, I really want to reach your school. And I see that you seem to have influence there. Um, just ask me about my story and my faith. And when I came to Christ, um, it was a unique situation because I didn't really go in that night thinking I'm going to give my life to God. Um, It was actually the first time I'd ever gone to this youth ministry. And I had just come off of a breakup of three years and off of getting kicked off the basketball team, which was my identity with those two things. This relationship for three years at 16 and then sports and specifically basketball. And so as I'm kind of searching for who I am, I happen to go to church and yeah, I just, I heard the gospel and gave my life to him. I didn't know what next steps would look like or should look like. Uh, but having Kevin Batista challenge me that I'll pour into you if you pour into your school was the sweetest setup for the rest of my life, honestly, that I need someone older that's pouring into my life and, and holding me accountable in some ways, uh, as well as I need a mission so that I'm not just getting poured into I need to constantly be like thinking, how do I reach my generation? Which I never would have known. Um, yeah, 15 years later, um, March 8, 2006 is when I gave my life to Christ. So this March will be 15 years that I never knew 15 years later. I'd still be seeking out mentors to pour into me and then seeking out how do I pour into my generation? Um, and I would have been excited if I just helped with reaching my neighborhood, let alone uh, for whatever reason, God's definitely entrusted me to reach my generation when it comes to young leaders all over uh, the nation and sometimes even all over the world. That's awesome. So, and that was in, you grew up in Dallas, is that correct? Yeah, Dallas, Texas. Um, not born, but definitely raised uh, since I was a little child. Uh, and then this is a huge move is that the last three months I've gotten engaged, married, a uh, new job, which then required moving to a new city. Um, so me and my wife, Cheyenne, just moved to Nashville, Tennessee, 
uh, in the last month or two and uh, got married. And um, yeah, and I, I'm now working for an organization called Q. Uh, not to be confused with Q Anon, uh-huh. <laughs> but Q, which has been around for 18 years, and it's a organization that curates uh, Christian leaders from all over the country, especially pastors, to consider how we um, thoughtfully engage with what's going on in our culture and advance good in the world uh, biblically. Yeah, I know I saw a lot of uh, recent posts and shares from some of the talks that were given at um, an event that, that was y'all had put on. and. Yeah. There was some really, it was really good stuff. Um, that's cool. Um, so I know when you were in Dallas, you, you had started the initiative network, um, mm-hmm. kind of just break down, like what was kind of the catalyst for that? And what did you see kind of come from that? And like, just maybe changed your perspective on like, I guess, community and, and discipleship and, and helping young leaders. Yeah. I mean, initiative wasn't um a very very strategic thing as much as i probably like stumbled into it and then was like okay if this is where god's moving then let me just join him in that and pour i i say i don't like to start fires i like to pour gasoline on fires that god's already started and um yeah i just felt like i was looking for community myself as a growing young christian leader in the dallas area um I just was like, God, there's got to be other 25-year-olds that are out there that um, yeah, just are passionate about you, that are making a difference in the city, that are pretty serious and clear on what you called them to do. Because at that age, I felt like most of the young people I knew either weren't Christians anyway, or if they were Christians, they were absolutely clueless on what they wanted to do with their life. Um, and so I just didn't relate to my own generation. And I was looking, and most of the people that I connected with mentally and philosophically, theologically, tended to be 10, 20 years older than me. And I was just like, God, please like, give me some friends that are in their 20s that are, I guess, more mature or focused or driven. Um, not to say all the other kids were like totally dumb or bad or anything. It's just, it was, they were typical young Christians that were like, totally cool with just hanging out in college and just didn't know what they wanted to do. And we're kind of like waiting for God to give them like a very, very clear sign. And this just wasn't my experience with God is I kind of feel like he gives you very small baby steps and you really don't know where the end goal is going to be. Like, I don't think Joseph knew where the end goal was going to be. Moses knew where the end goal was going to be. The disciples, especially John the Baptist, goodness, if he knew, I don't know if he would have signed up. And so uh, all that to say is like, I think he gives us a daily uh, obedience or a daily vision. So uh, just praying for community, I started seeking out um, these young leaders. Actually, initiative used to be called uh, a program called 72 because in Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72. We're all pretty familiar, but it says they sent out the 72 to every town and every place, sending them out two by two. And then right after that, it said, and then he, uh, and it said, and then you should pray for the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, and I, I think God was faithful to answer those prayers of, um, I'm trying to find these young Christians that are out there and I'm praying that there's more and more that pop up. And would you, would you connect us together? And that started forming a community in Dallas, which two to three years later would start to become a community, not just for Dallas young leaders, but as I started speaking at different parts of the country, I started meeting other young Christian leaders in Atlanta or in LA or in 
Seattle or in uh, Charlotte. Um, and that's when uh, going, I just, yeah, I was very fortunate to have a mentor that had connections to a really sweet retreat center in Colorado who said, hey, if I got you this place for free, do you think you could get next-gen leaders from across the country together? Um, and I was like, yeah. I mean, which is interesting saying that because if you really look at my story, you'll see a lot of big breakthrough moments and they're almost always tied to someone older opening the door for me. Yeah, that's really cool. I, um, I definitely think that that's, that's really interesting because it seems as though like it's through discipleship of people that are older that in some ways it seems like God maybe has opened doors through that and given you an opportunity to emphasize to people my age and, and our age um, the importance of discipleship. Uh, and so in regards to that, so like, how would you, if you just had a working definition, how would you define discipleship? Yeah, that's good. Um, I would define discipleship as uh, spiritually following or just, yeah, following someone who is spiritually a step ahead of you uh, to become more like Jesus. Uh, I think that's pretty as simple as it can get is, yeah, following someone uh, who's spiritually a step ahead of you to become more like Jesus. Uh, and I, every single one of those words is uh, very intentional. And I say following, um, I think some pastors would be say like training or leading or uh, teaching, but uh, Jesus to me, like he actually, you're not going to see much um, situations where Jesus was trying to get a crowd um, or was trying to like tell his disciples, go organize everybody so that on this day I'm going to show up and speak. Uh, it's very different than how we do church today. Our church is very intentional of like, let's be really good at marketing this new series we're going to do, which is going to be a play on words of some like new cool song that everyone likes. Or like we, we really try to copy culture, convince culture that we're cool and then hope that they're going to be changed by like us copying them with a little bit of Christ. While Christ was like, literally telling people not to tell anyone else about him. Like he was like the worst marketer ever. Um, and I think because he was focused on discipleship, I mean, the biggest example of that is the, the 5,000. That's like the big win in the American church world is when you get to finally preach to 5,000 people. That's just men. I mean, we had women and children, it could be 20,000, 30,000 people. And Jesus doesn't start a mega church or start a podcast or start a new book series or not anything. He actually leaves those 5,000 to get on a boat and just leave them behind to go keep discipling 12. And so uh, that really shifted my priority and, and even changed my uh, structural definition of discipleship. Uh, it's not going through a course together necessarily, although those help, it's not um, checking in on how someone's soul is or accountability, although those help. Um, I do think discipleship is, again, is are you following someone into their world, into their life? Um, ideally, I give examples of their family life, their personal life, their private life, um, their church life. That Like, can you invite someone into your world on a regular basis um, so that you can show them what it looks like for you to become more like Christ? Um, and I think sometimes we put a pressure on ourselves that we think we have to disciple someone to be impressed by what we're doing and then see enough faith in what we're doing and boldness and confidence in what we're doing that they want to be bold and confident too, or they want to love Jesus like we love Jesus. But uh, what Paul did who loved Jesus probably more than we love Jesus and who 
uh, was probably more bold than we're bold and sacrifice more than we sacrifice. Even he didn't say become like me. He said become like me as I become like Christ. And so the pressure's off in a lot of ways that it's just frequently following someone who's spiritually a step ahead of you to become more like Jesus. Nice. I like that. Yeah. And that's, I think that's definitely usually, it usually ought to be someone that's a good bit older than you. Uh, and I think what has been interesting in kind of observing like the last few years, um, I think we can see, or at least I think that there's a pretty big generational divide right now. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the lack of discipleship may have, have a role in that. Um, do you feel that that kind of that lack of discipleship maybe, and then that generational divide has kind of created a divide within the church where there's this like lack of empathy and understanding from one side towards the other, especially with like, you know, political spectrum and just things um, along that nature. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like, and I, for many years, have thought that the number one tool and strategy of the enemy um, is the, the truth is the enemy can't defeat us. And so this tool and a strategy is to divide us. Um, he, as long as we are divided, we're technically not the church. We're just a whole bunch of churches. And uh, God said to us that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. Um, and I think the enemy really wins if he makes us believe, even as pastors, this is my church and that's his church. And over on that street is the big church, but that's his church. Instead of us thinking, no, we're just like his church, God's church. Um, we're on the same team. We're working together. The big ones, the small ones, the black ones, white ones, the Latino ones, um, the older churches, the younger churches, because um, every city, I'm sure even in your city, like um, especially every major city, if you ask people, where do all the young people go when it comes to, where do all the young Christians go? It's usually about two to three churches, all the young Christians go. Um, if you ask like, where are all the wealthy Christians go? It's like, oh, they go to this Presbyterian church or whatever it may be. It's like, it's, it's pretty common. Like you can, where's the big black church and where do all the black people go? Um, instead of like, and I don't even know if I need it, if we need to change that, I do think it'd help if churches are more diverse racially, generationally, maybe even politically. Um, but is there, is there a connection, even I would say a unity and Jesus would ask for love uh, according to John 17 and 15 where he, He's saying, they'll know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, that is there a love and a connection and a unity among God's people in each city? Because um, I don't think he sees hundreds of churches when he looks at a city. I think he sees his church, just one bride. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, some of that divide is impacting like people on the outside looking in? So like people that may be skeptical towards church or you know, opposed, specifically opposed to organized Christianity. Do you think that some of that is impacting the reach that, you know, the church can have? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, um, in John 17, Jesus prays five times that the church would be one. Um, it's, uh, I think a very powerful thing for Jesus to pray that, um, that I would actually, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, most Christians are. It's like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, maybe the most controversial thing I may say, but I truly do believe it, is I don't think that should be called the Lord's Prayer. Um, I think that should be called the Disciples' Prayer because that's not, uh, that's not what the Lord would pray, in my opinion. That's the, how that even came about was the disciples asking them, how should we pray? Teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, and even in that, um, he says, forgive us of our sins. 
Um, but Jesus never sinned. I think he was giving a template for us as believers to pray, um, forgive us of our trespasses as we trespass against them. We, Jesus never did that. And so I would say that's not the Lord's prayer. That should be called the disciples prayer. The Lord's prayer should be John 17, in my opinion, because that's the longest recorded prayer Jesus ever did. Um, and it's at the end of his ministry. And in that, the main focus was unity and specifically being one, uh, which is a powerful word. I mean, like, uh, you're about to get married. I just got married. It's a it's a word that's used in marriage, like that we would become one. And so I think uh, that's not a light thing. It's not like uh, make them friends or make them treat each other well. It's one, like together, like one unit, um, one body. And so uh, I think, yeah, the irony is it says make them one so that the world will know that Jesus was sent through the church. I think that's very powerful because sometimes we can just focus on unity and not realize Unity leads to evangelism. Unity is an apologetic and an evangelistic outlet for the world to see the power of God. Again, going back to John 13, where he says, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so you ask the question, do you think that the world is turned off by it? Um, I think it's double is that if unity is an evangelistic tool, then disunity is a anti-evangelistic tool. It's like the opposite. It is draw, is pushing people away from God um, and God's people. And the people that are hurt, yes, are non-believers, um, but it's not only that they're getting pushed away. Imagine how many people are not getting served and helped and saved because we're not working together. Um, and so it's, it, it's not just that um, they wouldn't get pushed away if we work together. It's that so many more people would be served and would see life, including us as Christians. We would have more joy and more power and more experiences with God if we were more united. Yeah. A quote that you know, I really like of yours, I read in the book uh, that you wrote, it, it goes along the lines of unity is not doing the same exact thing, but different things in the same direction. Uh, and I think yeah. that perfectly kind of illustrates what you're talking about. Um, so like, how do we, how do we do that? And how do we continue to promote that? Obviously through giving the example of Jesus, but practically, you know, where have you seen maybe in your experience where people are doing different things, but they're, they're going in the same direction. I mean, I'm trying to think of other groups that are doing it. Uh, I mean, there are cities that, I mean, Tim Keller is, is pretty good about bringing leaders together um, across New York. Um, I, I, what I love is when pastors don't just gather pastors, but they gather other leaders in different sectors of society. And Keller is pretty good at gathering uh, marketplace leaders as well. Um, I think Dallas has become a, a strong hub for Christian marketplace leaders, artists, young leaders, um, pastors, nonprofit leaders. Um, I think every major city, city should have an, uh, uh, maybe even people on staff that their whole job is not to work for just a church, but their job is to work for the church um, in the sense that Paul is kind of like that. Paul, I don't know if he ever was a senior pastor, um, and if he was, it wasn't for a long period of time. He might have joined a church for a while, um, but I think you can tell by his letters that he wasn't just a part of one large conglomerate church that was taking over all these cities. He was just representing the church. And he joined all these different ones. Like he wasn't saying, Hey, I'm going to help Ephesus, but I'm not going to help Galatia. Uh, he, he was on the same team of all of them. And so, um, I don't know. But the great thing about it, Blake, is that I feel like many 
uh, in the next generation uh, are inclined to unity and they grew up in more diversity. doesn't mean that they have no uh, propensity towards um, racism and or ignorance and or um, just doing things in an unwise way. But uh, because of the, the amount of diversity in our in the next generation, including even more so in Gen Z, um, it makes me more hopeful that they can uh, wrestle well through through that and become uh, through having close relationships that that uh, proximity will lead towards more empathy and hopefully even advocacy for each other. Um, yeah, yeah. So I I, I think that. Uh, I'm actually excited about where the future is going because it is getting harder and I would even say it is getting darker, but uh, that has almost always led to a stronger, bolder faith. Um, and the next generation is going to have to be very serious about their faith. If they're going to be Christians, there won't be uh, casual Christianity like there was in the past, as well as um, when it comes to unity for better or for worse, <laughs> they will not have the luxury to be divided like generations have in the past. Yeah. I would yeah, I would I would 100% agree with that. I think the beauty of the, what the church can display is this like mosaic of all these different ethnic groups, generations uh, displaying the gospel in, in such a beautiful way. And I think that's kind of, you know, you know, when we see Jesus talking about unity in the church and, and just throughout scripture, I think that um, we have to continue to emphasize that. But I definitely agree that it will be something where in the future we will have the luxury of being able to be divided. Um, so as we've kind of, we've talked about discipleship and we've talked about unity. Um, do you think that like, so when you've had people that are older pour into you and, um, disciple you. So I think that probably helps with one with unity among generations. Um, but also your own discipleship personally. Um, do you think the lack of such, so not having discipleship, uh, and being kind of isolated into your, you know, the people groups that you're used to. Do you think that that can lead to comparison and also division? Yeah. Um, yeah, especially when I mean, we're talking about generational. Uh, one of the biggest comparisons, if we talk about generational comparison, uh, is there's a lot of Christian, there's a lot of people in the generations older than us that are having to figure out who's going to take over my church in the future and who I'm going to pass the baton to who's going to help me lead this business and take over one day or who's going to lead this nonprofit or whatever it is. Like we all have like full-time jobs and um, eventually, especially if we were the founder and the, the starter of the organization, um, we feel this weight of, are we going to be able to pass the baton well to someone younger? And I think uh, there's a lot of area and room for comparison to seep in uh, as we're thinking about that, as well as for us as young leaders, as, as they're considering us, we could easily compare ourselves and say, this is what they did, but I'm going to totally do it different. To think that everything the generation before us did is wrong um, is just not realistic. Um, and sometimes we do that, even with our parents. Um, I feel like a lot of young people are like, I don't want to be anything like my parents. Uh, but there are, even I think the worst of parents have lessons and principles within their parenting that you can sal still salvage and redeem. Um, and so... Uh, it's not to say we should just be a splitting image and copy, but I, I think that um, where we see comparison in that sense in the Bible is probably strongest in Saul and David. Um, I always think what would have happened if Saul wasn't jealous of David and Saul 
didn't compare himself to David. Like what could have happened for the kingdom if Saul didn't care about who got the credit? Um, if he was totally fine with David, uh, as they sing the song and they said, Saul has slayed a thousands and David's tens of thousands. Uh, if he, if he stepped back and thought for a second, it's not like they're erasing me. It's not like they're saying I've done nothing. It's not like I'm not getting any credit. It's just that he's getting more credit than me. Now my time is kind of coming to an end and can I help him? Um, or do I feel like everything was fine until other people noticed him more than noticed David more than Saul. Uh, and my hope is, uh, that that's not something that holds us back that we're like, and I see it sometimes with older generations, like I've, we put in all this work to get where we are and now here you guys are just going to mess it all up or, or I worked so hard to get here and now you guys get it so easy. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Like it's not about us. Um, it's not even about as a millennial, it's not even about millennials. I don't feel like anymore it should be about Gen Z's. Uh, I feel like, what could happen is millennials could wait until their late forties and be like, now let's start thinking about Gen Z because it took forever till they started finally taking us serious. We had to get into our thirties and then our forties to finally enjoy it. But then you're going to lose the generation and you're going to finally start thinking about them the last five years of your ministry that it's like, they're not even young anymore. Um, and so my hope is that, uh, the more we care about God's name being raised and we don't care or need our name to be raised with it, the more you're going to see the kingdom impact and the more joy and peace and contentment you're going to see because you're going to realize you got a lot of other people on your team. And um, I'd also say, and I'm sure you've experienced this, I'm sure you've had some older people pour into you or open doors for you that I would say older leaders that actually instead of comparing themselves or criticizing next gen but they actually um, open doors for me or believe in me even bigger than i believe in myself um, i would always run through a wall for those kind of leaders and so um, i think there's a loyalty that is birthed uh, among older leaders that do that for young people and i even actually going back to saul and david think that happened uh, for the rest of david's life he always honored saul and never wanted to forsake god's anointed and part of that, I think, is because Saul actually did believe in David until he got more credit. Saul let David, as someone who's not a warrior, go and fight after 40 days, Goliath, of all things. Like, that actually took a lot of faith and confidence and trust for Saul to do that. And not only that, I think this is going to have to happen in our generation, is Saul didn't make him wear his own armor. Or I would say for us, uh, Saul didn't make him do it the way he did it and say, this is the way we've always done it. You guys can't come up in here and try to do it different. Um, that's so different. We don't like that. We just want you to do it our way, but be younger. Uh, Saul's like, okay, I don't understand why in the world you wouldn't wear armor when you're about to fight that guy. Um, but he lets them. And, and I mean, I think we both know that if David would have fought Saul, uh, I'm sorry, if David would have fought Goliath with armor, hand-to-hand -hand combat, I think he would have got crushed. And so I'm glad he didn't. I think times called for something different. And thank God David, as a young leader, did something different. So, um, yeah, I'm hopeful. And I, I'm praying for more and more leaders, including our generation, that just doesn't care about the credit as much as they care about Christ's name and him getting the glory. But we'll see crazy, crazy cool stuff happen if that's the case. Yeah. A quote that I've heard you use, um, and I don't remember who it who actually it's by, but uh, it goes like, it's possible to impress Christians without looking like Jesus. 
Yeah. Uh, and I found that really, that's an interesting quote because when I think about like comparison and I think about even in my own life, when I've seen people uh, seemingly be more successful, I guess the quote unquote, um, whatever you want to define success is yeah. in, in the church, I think sometimes, and you can agree with this if, if not, that's fine. Um, I feel like a lot of times our young leaders in our generation that are dealing with comparison and maybe division among like people their age um, are often comparing themselves to like successes that aren't really even that necessary to true discipleship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tell me, I mean, tell me more. What is there an example you can think of? So, okay, so if I, okay, say, say, okay. There's a lot of young leaders that I think want to be like speakers and like they want to go and be the next conference guy or the next book writer or whatever. And those are all, those all can be good things, positive things. God can use all those things. Um, but at the end of the day, like, is that what Jesus was calling people to? Um, and I, I really appreciate, you know, your emphasis on the discipleship piece um, because I think it can be very easy to like remove ourselves you know, continually into this Americanized Western Christianity away from like this authentic following and apprenticeship towards Jesus and the way that he has given us to live. Um, And so that quote that you kind of had mentioned, you know, it's, we can impress Christians with all sorts of things. And at the same time, not really look like Jesus. Like we can be writing books, we can be writing blogs and not discipling anybody or having anyone pour into us. And I think with identity and comparison, um, you know, like if we're putting our identity and our, we're comparing ourselves to all these other people and the success that they're having, um, but yet we're not really even seeking after what Jesus has called us to. It's kind of a waste. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I think you're wise to, to see that and hear that. And lately, man, I, I've thought, uh, the enemy, I thought the enemy does not necessarily have to distract young Christian leaders into, um, or like get us trapped really he doesn't have to trap us in sin um and all these different things uh as much as he still wins if he can get us distracted by just trying to be really successful in things that aren't really any that god doesn't even care about like uh if he can just get us like consumed with being successful in things that really don't matter in the kingdom uh the wrong scorecard then we're still insignificant to kingdom impact and so um it's like yeah we're like in purgatory when we do that we we're not falling into deep sin but we're also not doing anything of significance we're just kind of like okay kind of plateaued uh you think you might be killing it with the kingdom but like when we see what's the scorecard in heaven (laughs) yeah i just don't know if if uh it's the same as right now so I, i i agree man i i uh I wish a lot of times that uh, that uh, young people would not look at who's doing really well today when it comes to like who's influential to young people today, but think of who's who after like hundreds of years do we see as Christian leaders that were like, man, they killed it. Uh, because if you're timeless in your classic, like that's like the C.S. Lewis's and the William Carey's and the William Wilberforce and George. Uh, Wow, I'm going like say George, uh, the dude that had a, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I'm forgetting the name, um, the prayer dude in London. But it's like, those guys, 
and I, I wish I, I should name more girls too, but it's like, um, they, they highly inspire like an angst. Um, well, I, I feel like our generation, even the church today, not even just young people, the church today is so focused on leadership and the church back then seemed to be so focused on reaching the lost for Christ, um, which looked like leadership eventually. But um, I think sometimes we're focused so much on growing um, our churches and they were so focused on like personal devotion to God, which always led to big revivals in larger churches. Yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point, Chana, just looking at, you know, who has sustained, what legacies have sustained as like the model of, you know, if I could like, you know, leave a legacy like that, I would look at my life as a, as a success rather than if I wrote a book or if I, you know, preached to thousands of people. Um, and so I think what, what is interesting with all of that is I think that, you know, when people are being discipled or seeking that out, um, I think identity, like finding true identity in Christ is a much, it's a much easier, easier pathway through discipleship and community rather than like just kind of doing the same old, same old. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of the comparison and stuff kind of ties into that. Um, so just a few kind of quick questions. Um, so what do you see as kind of vital, like moving forward after, you know, whenever all the vaccines get out and we we're kind of hopefully maybe getting back to whatever is considered normal in the future. Um, what do you see vital as moving forward for the church? Uh, and for leaders within the church in dealing with discipleship, uh, comparison, and identity? Uh, well, I think it's vital now. I think it'll be even more vital in the future is uh, really knowing the Word of God, um, it being like something that builds a, a confidence and boldness in young people. Uh, there's going to be a lot of news, and there are a lot of news already, uh, News that would say you should join one side, news that says you should join another side, even news that would say you should just forget about it because you can't change any of it and just chill and have fun. Um, there's a lot of narratives to, to follow, and Christians that are young, they follow in a lot of those. Um, and I think that there is a message and, and a narrative that is like older, longer, timeless, more powerful. Um, it's going to be around in a hundred years if Jesus hasn't come back yet by now. It'll be around a thousand years if Jesus hasn't come back by now. But what is so, so big of a deal right now that a thousand years from now, no one is going to care that much about. But right now we feel like, how could they not? It's the most important thing. This is dire. This is crucial. Uh, the Word of God will still be alive and well, true, relevant, all that. And so um, even for myself, I'm realizing like, yeah, I'm, um, need to know God's word need to be, I think what's going to be crucial is need to care a lot less of like, how do I save face or save my platform? Or is like, how do we, we need, probably need to start reading more about the prophets um, like Daniel and Jeremiah and John the Baptist. Uh, Cause I don't know if we're going to get to live in the time that our parents lived in where Christianity was good and accepted and maybe even, I don't know, expected. Now it's going to be like, yeah, you don't, you, you, you're a minority and um, you need to, yeah, you need to, even if it is only you that's following him and even if it's only you that's feeding yourself to know the Lord. Um, that, and then when the time comes, if there's times where you have to stand and be bold with your faith, um, I, I'm reading Daniel and I'm just like, this is the kind of temperament I hope our generation can have. And even the prayers I've been thinking is like John the Baptist 
even when people think we're weird or wrong, um, or they're like, what's that guy's out there on the, by the river wearing weird clothes? And I guess some people are part of it, but not the majority, um, that you would be a voice in the wilderness. Um, I, th I think it's going to be very, very important that we're okay with being a voice in the wilderness and not that we're like, no, that couldn't be right because we need to be influential. Uh, there'll be times of, I think, influence, but I don't think like Joseph or Daniel or any of those guys are fighting to be influential. I think they're fighting to be with God and God brought times of influence. Like he's going to open those doors. Yeah, I love the the narrative of the book of Daniel, especially with just the, the time period that we have going on right now where you just see like, there's not this call to like rebellion or like to change where they're at. Um, but there's a call to patience and faithfulness to Yahweh. Uh, and I think that that's kind of, I think the church will continue to lose, I guess, home field advantage, if you would want to call it that. Um, mm -hmm. And just, yeah, I definitely would agree with you. Um, I think that, you know, the church will have to continue to emphasize the things that matter uh, and continue to move away from the things maybe that have been, you know, emphasized as what matters, but maybe not matter as much as we think it does. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. And so I just want to ask if you have one final word of encouragement to listeners, uh, that maybe they're dealing with a lack of discipleship or identity or comparison, um, and unity, especially unity. I feel like in this year, um, that's been pretty chaotic. What, what's your kind of final word or just some, a piece of advice you could give somebody listening? Um, final word. Uh, that's good. I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's going to be a lot, there's a lot of things we can think through, like strategize, what can we do to really lead well going on to this next year, strategize well going into this next year. How can we find just a good rhythm or even routines or goals for the year? Um, and I, 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 it's funny to even say as I get older, because I'm not that old, but I am not 20-something anymore, is I just don't think we're ever going to graduate um, that the best thing we have to offer ourselves, and especially the best thing we have to offer anybody else, is our intimacy with God. Um, yeah, it's going to show me someone who's, I don't know, like, Show me someone who's making a major impact in a healthy way. And I'll show you someone who's got an intimacy with God. Um, and for whatever reason, I wish God made it so easy to have intimacy with, intimacy with him. Because sometimes we wake up and there's a hundred things we like feel a very natural desire to rush in to go do. And unfortunately, it's not often get in the word and be with him and just like slow down for a bit to like give our heart to him. Um, but that's the thing that I've never truly done uh, where I'm like, okay, I'm really going to do this and give my time to him where I felt like uh, that was a waste of time. Um, almost every time, like, <laughs> I don't know why, this is, why do I not just always want to be with him? Um, sometimes it's easier to want to like do something for him or even just be like him more than be with him. And so um, I don't know if we're ever going to graduate that we need to be with him if we want to see peace impact, uh, change, influence, all those kind of things. Uh, once, once we're with him, all those other things we won't even care about. But I think that's when God then trusts us with us because our heart and our soul isn't dominated by it. Um, 
and we have the steadiness to 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 manage um, the the platform that God gives us. Yeah, I definitely think that's a very wise and will always be a transcendent piece of advice. As long as we are here, there will be this need and this call for intimacy with God, because I think that definitely leads to like true discipleship, true unity and true like hope and something that's bigger than ourselves in the midst of chaos. So um, I really appreciate, you know, you coming on in this conversation. It's been really helpful for me and just kind of my thoughts and thinking through discipleship. I appreciate what um, y'all are doing at Q, um, Q Ideas, uh, and just kind of, you know, how God is using you and uh, he's, he's using you to in- influence young leaders and also uh, tie generations together. So I really appreciate you coming on and uh, absolutely, man. Great, great talking. Thanks, bro. Thanks again for tuning in to Rethinking Christianity. I hope today's episode was super helpful and encouraging for you in your faith and in your walk with Jesus. I'd encourage you to check out Grant's book, The Passion Generation, on Amazon. You can just type his name in, and also I'll post the link to the book in the description of the podcast. Thanks again uh, for tuning in, and I just ask that you would share the podcast, review, rate it. All those things are super helpful for me, and I would be super, super thankful. And so, until next time, this is Blake. See you later.